the main event. This is what we're here to do. Um, I would like to officially welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Kalia Garrido, and I head up marketing and events here at Great Data Minds. Um, if you don't know us already, Great Data Minds is a collective of passionate data activists, and we are on a mission to modernize the world of data. Mm -hmm. We do this in two different ways. The first is with our services arm at GDM Innovation Labs. This is our strategic planning, education, and the deployment of critical data projects. Um, and then we also have a content engine, a community. We host amazing events, just like the one that you're here to see today. This is at greatdataminds.com. A little bit of housekeeping before we get kicked off. Uh, this is a webinar, of course, so your cameras and microphones are off, but we welcome questions in the chat throughout the session. Um, if you prefer to wait until the end, we will reserve a little bit of time for a more formal Q&A. Um, but if you feel like chatting or you're inspired to share a link or something relevant, a note um, in the chat, absolutely do so. We saw uh, quite a bit of activity in the chat the last time that we did an event just like this. So we hope that we'll see the same today. So some introductions as we get things kicked off today. We are so excited to host a hyper relevant session that is on the hottest tech topic of all, which is generative AI. Um, so allow me to do some introductions for my esteemed guests. Uh, the first is Mukul Kishore, and he is the head of product management, generative AI and ML and forecasting platforms at CBRE. Um, he is driven by the potential of ethical artificial intelligence and machine learning products, and he believes transformation Innovation is possible in any organization through a product-led culture built on the foundations of design thinking and lean product management. And of course, usual suspect, Mr. Mike Lampa. He's my partner in crime. He is an accomplished transformation agent with a specialty in modernizing enterprise data and analytics platforms. Uh, Mike's expertise lies in the selection and implementation of modern tech tools, platforms, and tactical migration roadmaps. He's our chief analytics officer here at Great Data Minds. And uh, Mike, the floor is yours. Thank you, Kater. Hey, Kish Bakul, welcome. How are you, my friend? Um, I'm doing great. Looking forward to the session. Uh, very excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, been doing this, as you can kind of tell by my physical appearance, I've been doing this for a few years, right? Um, and over the course of almost three decades, I have never seen a technology uh, disruption like we're seeing with this whole generative uh, AI technology stack. So, and I know a lot of people are sharing that sentiment with me and we're all scrambling to really get our arms around it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with us. You know, but cool, uh, tell us a little bit more about you. You know, how'd you come to where we are today, sitting across the camera from each other? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, just on a personal level, you know, I, I grew up in India, uh, New Delhi, and I, I migrated to the U.S. in early 2000s to go to grad school at uh, Virginia Tech. Um, and after spending a few years here um, on the East Coast, uh, you know, my wife and I moved to the West Coast for 10 years, um, you know, lived in Seattle, lived in the Bay Area really enjoyed the cultures of working and living, you know, in those cities. Mm -hmm. um, and a few, few years ago, came back to the Washington DC area. Um, you know, and on a professional level, um, I've uh, worked with um, wireless companies in the first half of my career to launch, you know, 3G, 4G networks all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say in the last 10 years or so, I've um, focused more on the collection of companies known as FIRE. Um, that is finance, insurance, and real estate. And oh, I surprisingly came on that term because they're all services companies with similar, you know, cultures and mindsets. Um, um, and then within that, you know, there was a lot of exposure to the world of digital engagement, data, and applied AI and ML in throughout like the products, consumer products, and internal products. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, right now, um, so I've been a product manager, and now I lead teams of product managers and product designers um yeah and uh I, i'd love to uh see so many familiar people who signed up for today's session uh, i think a lot of uh, you are my colleagues from the past friends some clients as well and you know I, I really appreciate taking time during lunch hour on the east coast and mm -hmm. you know like 9 a.m on the west coast to <laughs> listen in 
Um, I'm looking forward, uh, Mike, to chat with you more about you know, generative AI and maybe more deep technical implementations and aspects that a practitioner or product manager uh, would find helpful when they are uh, implementing gen AI into their companies. So looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, so you, know, you mentioned product management and here at Great Data Minds, we really do fully endorse and embrace and we're trying to get more and more of our customers to embrace the fact that analytics needs to be built, you know, the, the data that we curate and put together to enable analytics and the analytics that we put down on top of those data um, uh, sets really need to take a product mindset, right? To these, to these data assets and these analytic assets because they do have a life cycle and whatnot. Um, why is it, or how is it that a product management mindset would play into generative AI-oriented analytic products? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And you know, over the years, I've I've seen product management isn't understood the same way across different companies. You know, like for example, in today's audience, we have people from from fintech, from government agencies, consultants, you know, small and large company, academia, right? And mm -hmm. and it's important to kind of anchor on what it really means to be a product manager. So uh, I would define a product manager as a bridge between the market, um, the users, and the product development teams, right? <clears throat> so mm -hmm. a PM, a PM is acronym commonly used for product manager also use for project manager, but let's uh, you know, park that for a second. So mm -hmm. a, PM is, a PM's main role is to ensure that a, a product uh, that is being built serves a, a real desirable and viable use case or a, or a consumer read, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it cannot be, it has to be viable because you know, we, we have to, it's a commercial, we have for commercial companies, it has to pay the bills, it has to be desirable, people, there has to be a market that exists for it and obviously real, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the execution side, the PM's role is to be the glue between cross-functional teams and stakeholders that that is so critical to bring a product to market, um, right? And, and be mindful of where we are uh, driving human value, where we are driving business value and just making our product successful. So. I would say PM is in the kind of driver's seat there. Yeah, gotcha. Now, for your more specific question, right, in the world of AI and ML, um, a PM takes on a bit more of a, a challenge there because um, I would say AI products are more like probabilistic and not deterministic, right? So probabilistic means the, it, it, the responses of an AI system based on what is the most likely scenario it would happen, right? Whereas mm -hmm. deterministic would be pulling data from a data warehouse. So AI product development lifecycle is long, iterative, ambiguous, mm -hmm. and oftentimes its ROI is not clear. Um, so while you know the underlying technologies and algorithms um, may or may not be well understood, but sometimes there's an expectation from management you know, for magic to happen, um, but a lot of times, many AI projects don't go into production and they end in a, in a beautiful PowerPoint slide deck, right? So that's kind of where I would say product management is, is really critical for bringing gen AI or any sort of AI solutions, you know, into reality in a viable way. Yeah, you know, so I, I picked up a couple of themes there as you were talking, uh, Mukul. Um, I heard design thinking. Uh, elements coming into play there with the viable and sustainable and and also occur lean references. We're after the value. You know, where's the big pile of money in essence, right? And whatever form it takes. So uh and 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 the whole the whole uh, concept of a product manager, you know, is just that's a lean concept, right? It's about driving uh to the real needs of the actual constituents and the stakeholders. So I love that. So but you know AI, I mean I'm going to call it classic, classic AI, machine learning driven algorithms uh, that predict outcomes, the probabilistic kind of um, um, approach. That's been around for a bit now, yeah? So what is, what is this gen AI? What's different about this beast? Yeah. Right, so I'm, I'm going to answer your question in, in the context of um, 
product management and how, how quickly, you know, the, the gold rush is happening, right? So, so you're right. It, AI has been around since 1960s and AI in general has been mature since last, uh, you know, 12 years, 10 years or so, right? Um, but let me give a couple of analogies. So remember when Apple and Google launched their SDKs for mobile app development? Mm -hmm. uh, there was a rush to build mobile apps. And if you look back today, there was probably a, a trillion dollar app economy that was born and there are 9 million or so apps or mobile apps in the market today, right? right. That, that is the impact of a fundamental capability like a, a smartphone SDK or a platform, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a second analogy I'd like to give before I answer your question is, remember when GPS was enabled in smartphones, in iPhones and Androids? After the GPS, we had Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, these kinds of you know, location-based uh, app economy companies were born in every part of the world. Mm -hmm. And then payment and authentication systems were introduced in smartphones. The gig economy was born that created about half a trillion dollars worth of financial impact worldwide and jobs, right? So all that took many years, but this time it is different. So in November, 20, November last year, um, Generative AI had a disruptive moment with ChatGPT being launched, as, as we know. And compared to traditional AI uh, applications, the fundamental difference was that ChatGPT was easy to understand intuitively by everyone. Like mm. everyone immediately saw it and they're like, oh, gee, I could use it for my job. I could use it for my use case, right? So, you know, I, I, I would love to hear thoughts from you know, everyone attending the session in through chat, you know, like when I see every, in every company today, there's a race to adopt generative AI. You know, mm -hmm. uh, everyone's piloting use cases, uh, you know, everyone's trying to have a generative AI strategy, but the scalable go-to-market strategy of Gen AI is still being figured out. Um, right, so, so there's less uh, focus on data scientists uh, trying to figure out how to use structured data and spend months cleaning it and getting it ready for an AI model or a machine learning model to use, right? Now we have APIs and endpoints where you can, boom, call, uh, you know, uh, Gen AI API with a prompt and you get back a response. So the, the time to market is pretty fast. Mm -hmm. um, it, to kind of show the scale, I, I, I know this is going to be recorded. I'd like to share my screen uh, to give, a, give everyone an appreciation of um, how fast the world is moving, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so there's a, there's a website that I play around with. It's called There's an AI for That. It's, there's an AI for that. There's an AI for that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a catalog of AI use cases, right? And if you see, there's about like 6,300 AIs, you know, available today. And this probably doesn't even include so many use cases from different, uh, you know, companies um, internally, right? But I'd, I'd like to, you know, focus on one more thing, right? Let's just go to the, the timeline, right? Of this catalog, right? Um, unless there's a, there's a time slider here, let's go back to January of this year. So in January, there were 135 new AI use cases or products launched, right? In February, about 100 or so. March, 248. April, 240. May, 236. You see like, if you see the number of working days, we probably have like 10 AI products uh, launched every day. Look at that, on 31st May, they were like about close to 10 AI products launched every day. So th this gives a sense of why it is different this time. Like the true gold rush is happening. Now, will all of these products end up becoming unicorns or financially viable? Maybe not, um, but, um, but this basically kind of tells us why thinking in terms of a viable product mindset is so important. Um, mm -hmm. If I might ask, you know, add one more difference, right? I mean, maybe people know the answer to that intuitively, but what's the difference between GPT 3.5 and chat GPT? Like, sometimes people use it interchangeably. Mm -hmm. One is a technology, other one is a product, right? Uh, uh -huh. So GPT 3.5 is a large language model. 
LLMs have been available commercially from OpenAI and Microsoft since 2019, right? Um, GPT-3 has been available on OpenAI since 2020, and it's been used in AI research, you know, uh, in many companies. Uh, but it only, you know, only when ChatGPT was launched, which is a powerful product, that's when the whole iPhone moment was created, as uh -huh. we were talking about earlier, right? Uh, and and why is it so unique? Like going back to your question about lean product management, right? ChatGPT was fine-tuned to specific use cases. It had an intuitive user interface. It was human-centric. People understood it naturally. You know, uh, OpenAI made a ton of investment in the content safety and risk aspect of it to kind of keep all the bad stuff out of the responses. That was human-centric. OpenAI has an intuitive monetization model, right? You can pay $20 a month for premium access for GPT-4 uh, or for GPT-5, you can pick different models. You can have, there's developer documentation, there's price per token, et cetera, right? And then that's being business centric. And last but not the least, it, it has a partnership with Microsoft, which brings it a viable go-to-market path, right? Which may not exist for those 6,000, use cases we saw on the on the web page I just screen shared. So, mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I think that what's different this time is that generative AI has a much faster go-to-market uh, ability than general traditional AI. And instead of like large teams of data scientists trying to build models this time, I think it's uh, the ML engineers and full stack engineers that would be, that would need to build a whole product stack um, and it'll need really talented product managers to fine tune the use cases to bring it to market. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how I would say, I would differentiate generative AI and traditional AI. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, it sure is taking everybody by surprise and, and, and delight. Um, uh, I think my Google usage is down to by 95% because I hit chat GPT all the time for my questions now. <laughs> Um, so, thank you for that. You know that that understanding and differentiation, and you know, why is it so disruptive? I, I appreciate the, those insights. So, and, and there's a lot of people trying to understand. There's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of what is it out there? There's, there's probably, as we saw, there's six thousand some odd uh, potentially viable apps or products that have been created with it. Let's talk about some best practice. Can you? Let's get down to some some details. We can cover some of those other concerns and, and whatnot a little bit later, but talk to me a little bit about some some of the what you believe are best practices wearing your product management mindset and some of the use cases that you're seeing for integrating this Gen I into your business processes. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, let's walk through you know a hypothetical example of um, how to you know go step by step in a structured product management mindset to realize a Gen AI use case. Now, before, before I go into the, the example, right, I, I'll say that uh, Gen AI is being piloted pretty widely in all large companies. And, um, you know, there are viable use cases across customer support, you know, AI assistance, productivity tools, research applications, right? So the use case landscape seems to be pretty well understood to me. Um, but, um, Let's say like you're a product manager working for um, a company and you need to bring Gen AI and you don't know where to start, right? Mm -hmm. My advice here would be to think of a narrow and specific use case uh, that could improve the life of a, a human in a measurable way, right? So narrow specific use case that has strong value, human-centric value component and it can be measurable, right? Uh, and when you're thinking of that use case, it's important to go through a detailed product discovery process as you would normally do in a product management world um, with detailing out like a user journey in a step-by-step -step manner, right? Um, so for those of you who may be familiar with design thinking or user journey mapping, like this is what I'm referring to. And, and if, you, if you're not familiar with them, I strongly recommend you know, watching some videos and reading up about um, design thinking. So, mm -hmm. in, in, in user, when you when you're thinking about a very specific problem for a for a user for a human, you map out their user journey step by step, 
you outline their pain points, the inefficiencies at every level, and the, what the bottlenecks are. And as you do that, you know, opportunities for solving the problems would, would emerge naturally and more specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, we do this in general normal product management also, discovery and then delivery. With generative AI, it's the same two steps, discovery and delivery, but in a more, I would say, iterative way. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, the, uh, remember, like I talked earlier, the life cycle of Gen AI solutions is long, ambiguous, and iterative, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the example. Um, let's talk about the example, right? So, let's assume you're working for an e-commerce company, uh, or, or or a company that sells their products uh, online, and you, you want to use generative AI for summarizing customer reviews. Okay, um, let me talk. Tell about. Uh, let me. Uh, talk about a use case in a very, in a very bad way first, right? So, so a, a bad way of defining a gen AI use case would be, you know, getting excited about the technology, right? Let, let's use chat GPT to interpret all our customer reviews and enable every employee to ask it any question they want so that they can be productive in whatever job they're doing, right? So as you can see, this is a bad example because the problem is not clearly defined. The user is not clearly defined. The outcome is not defined. It's not measurable. Mm-hmm. So if you build a product for everyone, guess what? You build a product for no one, yeah. right? So um, now a good example of defining a use case, and I'll be very specific here, is, is, is the following, right? We want a business analyst in, a lo- in the logistics department of our company to identify shipping quality problems reported by customers in the reviews uh, based on electronic devices they buy under $200 and help renegotiation of SLAs with shipping vendors and reduce customer complaints, right? It's, it's a long you know, use case, but as you can tell, it is very specific. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a few examples why. Firstly, in this example, it is, easy to map out the pain points in the journey of the business analyst mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, and prioritize them. So what does the business analyst do? They access data, they clean the data, they extract information, they interpret it, they prioritize, they reason and present it, right? So in all of those things, there will be some friction and pain points. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second uh, reason why I think this is a well-defined use case is you can tell where generative AI solution is probably superior than a natural language processing solution, which has also existed for many years, right? So for example, you know, like text extraction, reasoning, clustering of feedback, all those are commonly used, um, you know, uh, tools or uh, techniques for for mining large corpus of uh, unstructured data. But generative AI makes it easy to do text extraction, reasoning, clustering, better than NLP models that have to be fine-tuned over a long time, right? So those Mm are opportunities where you know when to use NLP, when not to use NLP. Sorry, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, Now, the third thing is that if you're a practitioner or a product manager launching Gen AI in your your company or a pilot, you, you got to think about a structured pilot with your stakeholders first, right? And it's important to set expectations that, hey, Gen AI is cool, but it doesn't do magic, right? Never promise magic. Uh, in, instead, take a structured pilot program approach with mm-hmm. making sure you have enough resource commitments from, you know, from the Gen AI team and the stakeholders team. You have avail- data availability, you have a risk assessment, user experience design, and you have the ability to run a whole bunch of experiments. Remember the iterative Yep. Part of Gen AI yes. product management, so so that piece, right? Um, and I would say the fourth thing is um, it should be it, it's very important to measure the success and define goals, mm-hmm. right? So so in this example of a business analyst wanting to optimize the shipping quality, right? The the goals would be a staff productivity metric, like how much time a business analyst is spending in extracting data and negotiating stuff, right? Uh, There is a human factor to it, the customer experience, the the reviews from customers, right? 
you can tell if the reviews sentiment is going up or down, how many are good reviews, bad reviews, star rating. And lastly, you know, the whole shipping company SLA compliance, right? Like how many errors are there? How many delays are there? So all of these become, you know, intuitive goals that would help you calculate the return on investment on your Gen mm -hmm. AI project, right? right. Um, and last but not the least, right? In this, this structured approach I'm talking about, uh, including your stakeholders, uh, awareness. Uh, it's important to think about uh, a framework for repeating this process multiple times over, right? Gen AI implementation is not cheap, right? right. Uh, the API costs and you know the number of tokens, it all adds up pretty quickly. Um, so, so a good product manager needs to come up with reusable framework uh, to scale from one use case to like 100 use cases over the next few years. Uh -huh. So this framework and setting right expectations it helps bring trust, build trust and, and uh, you know, awareness with your stakeholders, with your leadership, uh, which is important to, you know, keep uh, driving success. Right, right. So, yeah, definitely reinforcement on the design thinking approach um, when we're driving out the, the, the use case. Um, I'm also hearing we also believe in business or uh, behavior driven design uh, approaches which takes the given when then kind of uh, uh, rubric uh, has always worked great for any kind of insight, you know, analytic insights or even predictive um, um, machine learning based insights. And it feels like it, it directly is applicable for driving out uh, Gen A, Gen A <laughs> oriented uh, use cases. Right? So thank you for that. So there is a lot of discussion and concern around um, managing the risks of, of adopting and implementing generative uh, AI projects. What should we be, are these red herrings? How do we address these risks? How do we mitigate these risks or, or dispel the concerns? Um, yeah, so great question. Um, risks, uh, assessing and addressing risks is one of, um, in areas that really differentiates generative AI to traditional AI, and, and I'll explain why, right? Uh, you know, PMs in general, you know, don't over-index on risks when they're planning products early on. Mm -hmm. um, and even with, even with like discriminative or regular general AI, right? Like usually it's, it's an after, you know, post-launch go-to-market phase. Um, let me go back to a comment I made earlier uh, that AI products are probabilistic and not deterministic, right? given that they are giving their best guess on the highest probability of being right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the, the right answer of a Gen AI product is um, based on three kinds of input parameters that introduce what we call input risks. Mm -hmm. There are also output risks I'll talk about in a second, but let's talk about what the input risks are to a Gen AI system. The, the first risk is the choice of the model you're using, the foundational model, and what data it has been trained on, right? So, um, I, you know, I was talking about, you know, GPT 3.5, um, like OpenAI offers uh, with GPT 3.5, four different models. Um, they have different parameters. Uh, they have been different parameter count. They have been trained on, you know, different sets of data and they're, Accuracy and speed are different. There's a trade-off between accuracy, speed, and uh, well, let's say accuracy and cost, really. So <clears throat> um, you got to choose the right foundation model for your use case, um, and every model doesn't fit uh, your purpose. So, for example, if, if you are building a legal application for giving legal advice, you cannot and should not use any of the OpenAI foundation models you need to have a model that is specifically trained on the corpus of legal data. And there's a, there's a, there's a emerging startup company called Harvey, which has a waiting list for months for legal companies to onboard and use them as legal assistants for their paralegals. Uh, <clears throat> so this is giving, illustrating an example of, you know, choosing model is one risk. Mm -hmm. uh, the second uh, is the input data risk. So, uh, the output of your Gen AI system is based on the quality of the data you give it as input. You know, like when you build prompts, you give it like some data to summarize, uh, or even when you fine tune your model to your company's use case, 
you go through a fine tuning process where you have uh, you know a, a human or ai involved process of uh, giving like response um, asking it questions and uh, giving it the right answers for the model to train um, that process isn't very clearly understood um, so that could introduce bias and some other risks as well. So that's the second thing. Um, the, the third risk is, uh, I would say, input instruction risk. So uh, Gen AI systems work on prompt engineering, right? You know, and Gen AI is like LLMs are known to hallucinate um, and when you give instruction to prompts, like help me do this, 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 right? Uh, the prompts are prone to misengineering. They are prone to, you know, security, uh, um, you know, problems. Like there is a, there's a risk called prompt injection attack where people can, you know, totally change the prompt the system is giving. So, you know, managing the whole prompt and making sure it is, you know, well-structured, thought through, uh, managing the risks is important, right? So just to summarize, the three risks are the choice of the model, the input data we're giving it and the input instruction we're giving it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so like within these three areas of risks, um, it's, it's really important to define your use case with examples. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I talked about the, the logistics and shipping quality use case before. Mm -hmm. um, so it is really important to experiment with a lot of different prompts in there, like telling the, the large language model in this case that, hey, you are a business analyst and you are responsible for recommending shipping quality improvements, like giving it an identity, giving it a goal and experimenting a lot with that. So that will kind of help mitigate some of these uh, input data and instruction risks uh, I talked about. Great. Uh -huh. um, there are also output risks, right? So um, an AI system usually or should never just take the raw output of a large language model and show it to the to the user right away right there is usually a bunch of filters built in the technology stack after the fact so for example there are block lists there are classifiers there are sentiment checkers to make sure that you know we are blocking out certain words or tones and we are using internal product classifications and data formats right all of those things also are subject to um you know risks within a product stack so a practitioner or a product manager, uh, when they're building out the whole use case, uh, they need to think about the input risks, the output risks, um, and, you know, at, at the minimum. Um, and as kind of their product gets more mature, uh, right, um, the products typically have a configuration layer like what parameters they're using to control your system, the output formats, et cetera, you know, they will need to be also tested and, you know, invested in to make sure, uh, you know, your, your use cases, your product is stable. Um, and last but not least, you know, explainability is so critical in any AI system and specifically with Gen AI, um, because, you know, you, you have to, as a product manager, create documentation to explain to your stakeholders, you know, how your prompt implementation works, how you handle these risks and system constraints, and just how to use the, the whole system, right? So these, you know, boring details are so critical to bringing a successful product to market. Um, I'll share my screen one more time um, to illustrate how important this is, right? So mm -hmm. um, uh, Meta, launched uh, its Llama 2 model last week. Uh, let me share my screen. Okay. And it's one of the most powerful open source uh, models, uh, which is equivalent to its um, performance as uh, OpenAI's, OpenAI and Google's models, right? And they have this responsible use guide. Uh, mm -hmm. I encourage everyone, and I have it open here next tab. I encourage everyone to spend some time in reading this uh, this guide. Like it is 24 pages and it has a lot of, you know, easy to understand information on how you would implement, you know, this kind of a large language model in your product stack. Um, wow. So this is a great resource um, that I'd like to uh, everyone to kind of check out. Yeah, definitely. And we'll, we'll send that link out to everybody as well. Um, so it, it, does, 
as you were discussing the mitigation of some of these risks and the things we need to do to you know kind of protect ourselves and you know give, um, you kind of touched on uh, data risks, but is there a, an undue concern around pri privacy data treatment or data privacy concerns that Gen AI brings to the table that doesn't already exist today? So, um, data privacy, yeah, uh, for sure. So there's two kinds of. Um, risks here, if I were to think about it, right? Uh, the first risk that was pretty widespread a few months ago was, hey, I'm giving my enterprise data to uh, a private model like ChatGPT, which will use it to train itself, right? And I don't want my sensitive data to be showing up with someone else's prompt later on. That's mm -hmm. just a no-no, right? So that was one kind of data privacy security risk. Um, which has been addressed now because most of these, uh, you know, private model companies like um, uh, OpenAI and Microsoft have publicly said they're not going to train their models on public data, right? Um, the, the other risk uh, is more of a permissions risk. So let's say you work in the HR or finance uh, team of a company Typically, you would have access to a lot more sensitive data about like people's salaries and performance and the, the, the you know, the financial metrics uh, in the upcoming quarter that other employees would not have access to. Then if you use the same large language model or a product without the right permissions and privacy, you know, permit data, data privacy and permissions control, you know, that data could leak out and be made available to other employees. So that is a big risk that needs to be um, factored in when you build, um, you know, a generative AI product within your company, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, it's a great question because the tech stack is still evolving. Yeah. Uh, for Gen AI, like there isn't a gold standard yet. Um, so you know, you need to think of. Um, you know, what LLMs, what, what models you use, right? What is the trade-off between cost and accuracy, um, right? Then there's infrastructure cost, right? Like you have to choose which infrastructure provider to build your stack on. How do you manage mm -hmm. costs? Because guess what? Gen AI costs, when you keep giving prompts, the costs add up very quickly and you end up using your tokens, you know, so how do you charge back that to your stakeholders if, if that's... Uh, uh, it's a problem in a, in a mature organization. So, mm -hmm. so that, and then, you know, to your uh, question about privacy earlier on, right? Like LLMs in companies typically start with foundation models being fine-tuned with their own internal data, right? So fine-tuning is when you retrain uh, a large model on a task-specific data set, right? And it requires a lot of intentional data preparation, uh, labeling, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you have to build prompts, you have to engineer prompts, you have to implement governance rules around prompts, uh, you have to make trade-offs with user experience, because if you put too much uh, emphasis on security privacy, then there is a bit of a UX trade-off, yeah. which is probably more important for consumer applications. So all of those decisions, design decisions have to be made if you're a practitioner or a product manager. Right? Okay. Yeah, and it's um, Sounds like many of those are, are not really any different than data warehousing initiatives or, or data science initiatives today. These are all many of the same um, without the prompt engineering you know, changes, but you know, the treatment of data and, and you know, security access controls and whatnot. No, you're right, 100%. Yeah. So, so gen, gen AI is not a product by itself, right? Think of it always as Gen AI or any AI system being a you know, a, a, a puzzle piece in a larger puzzle, a building block, right? So mm -hmm. you're right, like the whole product stack of a business application will have all these security privacy mechanism hopefully built into it. Um, Gen AI brings in a kind of a less understood dimension to it. So mm -hmm. therefore it's important to go back to like a first principles thinking to make sure you're checking all the boxes um, and, uh, you know, define the, the the success metrics of your product, whether it's, customer experience, user experience, you know, dollar value, et cetera. 
Yep, gotcha. So, so how should the the technical practitioners out there in the industry today that have been doing data and analytics on behalf of their organizations, how should they be thinking about the the Gen AI technology stack and the integration of that stack into existing systems, especially uh, um, maybe maybe not necessarily especially, but including where these enterprises already have a data science platform such as you know like data robot or data iq how does gen ai start to integrate with those existing ecosystems yeah a, a good question i would say um it's somewhat similar to how a traditional ai system would be built in uh but this time it has a layer of you know prompt management uh in the, in the middle which which wasn't the case before um so typically, you know, mature AI applications are integrated through APIs with um, the rest of large business applications. Um, so with Gen AI also, you know, practitioners need to think about the whole API, you know, integration patterns, like which integration, which entity will call the API, how often they will call it, how will the data operations quality be measured, will there be sufficient logging, you know, performance measurement, you know, response times, error rates, like all those things will have to be, uh, will need to be thought through, defined in, uh, in the integration uh, phase of your project. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing I'd like to touch on is like, because we're talking about Gen AI and it is so iterative, you know, you must plan for experimentation of different models and prompts within your product. You know, it's very iterative. It takes many cycles to, you know, get a stable application. Um, and I'll, I'll say that one more time, like plan for product analytics early on. In, in many companies, you know, product analytics are a bit of an afterthought. You know, let's ship the software first, let, let's build the, the use case and we'll measure it later on, right? Mm -hmm. it's, this introduces a pretty big risk in the world of Gen AI. Right? You need to implement your metrics earlier on. You need to implement feedback mechanisms and reporting mechanisms from users, both qualitative, quantitative, um, and develop like your KPIs that truly reflect the product value of your use case. Like going back to my example of business analysts, right? Uh, if it's not use case specific, then you will not really know if it's um, uh, successful or not. And lastly, you know, be as transparent as possible in your implementation. Like mm. it should, the last thing you want your consumers or stakeholders to think is that you're building a black box system they don't understand. Right? Yeah. That that is a very big um, no no. Um, you know, there's plenty of good practices in the industry, but you know, we talked about Llama two earlier. Um, Meta, uh, Facebook has been at the center of so many controversies <laughs> that it has it has you know in terms of privacy and whatever right so it, it has taken a pretty good um initiative to create this concept called system cards you know you can look it up online with system cards you talk about explainability of every component of your decisioning stack uh, in an easy to understand way so i would encourage people to kind of look up uh, system cards concept um, on on Meta's website. Okay, great. Right. All right. So, what are your favorite Gen AI apps? Give me a couple ideas. Oh, there are so many. There's six. I know. Three hundred. <laughs> All right. Okay. How, how about I um, I share my screen again? Right. I'm. Uh, I, I read a lot of different news websites, and there's so many. Um, you know, uh, news apps available, but there's an app that I use a lot. It's called Artifact. Uh, let me see if I can share my screen of my phone and give a demo of that. And as we give the demo, we can talk about uh, that. Okay, do you guys see my screen? Yes. Okay, so here's an app called Artifact and I have nothing to do with Artifact. They are not paying me money, it's a free app. Um, anyone can download it. So I'm illustrating, I'm sharing this app because 
It's a personalized news app and it has some common product principles of any news app, right? So for example, if you see on top, there is a search button. Uh, there are different categories that you can, uh, you, you can choose during your onboarding process. And let's go to AI, okay? Um, and then within here, it, it gives kind of personalized uh, news articles, um, you know, in that category. And then there is also like a, a for you, which is a general news feed kind of approach, right? Mm -hmm. So as you can see so far, there is no gen AI in this product so far, right? Although um, this app um, is, is uh, differentiating itself from all hundreds of other news apps by saying we are gen AI, but it's actually much of what you've seen so far is not Gen AI. Now here's where the Gen AI comes in. When you go through news articles, there's so much to read um, and there's ads and a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, there's only so many news articles you can read. But if you kind of, um, let's go down and pick any, okay. Okay, let's pick any. Okay, let's go to Elon Musk. Okay, the first one, right? There is a there is a top button here that summarizes the whole article in three bullets, right? So you don't even have to scroll and read all of it. I I, I find this summary to be so cool, and it's really not available anywhere else, right? Like you have three bullets, you pretty much get the crux of what you want. Now here is the configuration aspect that I was talking about uh, earlier on when you think of a, of a product uh, that if you click on the three dots, it lets you choose what kind of prompt you want, right? So if you want it more dumbed down, choose explain it like I'm five. And it gives you really literally one line, right? And you can choose a, a poem. Look at that, the same news article converted into uh, This is kind of more on the entertainment, entertainment side. Um, but as you can see that this is kind of where, um, you know, this one um, gen AI feature leads to a more ongoing engagement from a consumer like me, right? Um, and with this feature, it becomes easier to track success. Like here's a cool thing, right? Like it has, you see this one day streak here, two day streak. They, are, they have gamified it because with, uh, with the summaries, people come back and read a lot of news articles and you, know, you, you can uh, try to give you know, one day, two day streaks so people get encouraged. Um, there's other stuff you can do. So um, you, know, you can measure success, like I said. So all of, these, uh, all of this demo to say that Gen AI doesn't make a product. It only differentiates and helps a product. It's a feature, not the whole product. So, mm -hmm. you know, while it is tempting to, you know, put a lot of focus on, hey, my product is Gen AI, so it will be automatically successful. No, Gen AI is one of many features that will make a product successful. It, mm -hmm. it will not do magic. Awesome. Hey, you know, we got a couple questions. Would you mind uh, taking a shot at him? So one is, you know, from an enterprise product management uh, point of view, um, is the most promising integration of LLMs at the API service partner level? Okay, um, that's a very specific use case. I think it really uh, question. I mean, it, it depends a lot on, you know, what um, what partners you're working with. Um, so there are like hundreds of vendors uh, offering Gen AI solutions right now mm -hmm. uh, for small and large companies to you know integrate in their stack. Yeah. And selecting a vendor is one of the big decisions right now that you know uh, um, an architecture team or product management team has to go through. It's yeah. so all over the place. So I would say you know looking at um, API integrations is important, but it's one of many things that um, needs to be taken into mind when you think of enterprise companies and how they build up their Gen AI stack. Yeah, yeah, and you know, with in in the, you know, the analytics space, we recommend an ongoing, long, you know, longer range strategic portfolio of analytic capabilities that are linked to the enterprise strategies. 
Would you develop these long-term roadmaps for this space just like any other kind of analytic space or is it different? Um, I would say, I wouldn't call it a long-term roadmap. I would call it a kind of a vision of, um, you know, thinking of the art of the possible. Mm -hmm. um, I promise you, if you make a gen AI roadmap today, it will be obsolete in a few days or a few weeks. Yeah, right? because of um, the of technology is insane it, right now. It, it, yeah, exactly. The, exactly. Um, so for, for that reason, uh, you know, it's better to think about strategy and where Gen AI can bring transformational change in your company. So, for example, like if you are, um, uh, you know, if you're a company that differentiates itself on customer service, right? Go all in on Gen AI and customer service with like chatbots and personalized care and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a company that differentiates itself in, you know, creative fields or marketing, then go all in on Gen AI with, you know, uh, image uh, image you know creative uh, you know generation on experimentation of new ideas and concepts etc right so pick pick where you want to invest in uh, where you'll get the most lift or differentiation for your industry yeah okay and and using the open source uh, models like llama does that make it easier for businesses to adopt um, versus you do, doing closed source alternatives? Um, I mean, kind of, there are many, many open source models. There are way more open source foundation models in the market right now um, than closed source. Closed source are like OpenAI and Azure, right? Amazon might have some, um, but you know, it, it has become pretty clear to advanced practitioners that um, large enterprises and corporations need generic models and they would want to fine tune or even retrain those models based on their company's uh, data corpus. For example, if, if you're a bank, um, you will have tons and tons of proprietary financial analysis data that you would want the, you know, your foundation model to learn so that mm -hmm. when it serves the customer need or a professional need, um, it maintains the, the brand, the, your values, you know, the same constraints uh, or even regulations and compliance that uh, are so important to regulated financial companies. And if you're, you know, if you're like, uh, I don't know, uh, a marketing company or, or a legal company, then, you know, similarly, you want to, you know, look at foundation models differently. Um, it's okay to start with closed source commercial models to pilot your use cases, right? Um, so to kind of very specifically answer your question, um, if you're just kind of wanting to test the waters to see how much lift you can get, it's okay to, you know, go to OpenAI or Azure or one of these providers call mm -hmm. their APIs. It's gonna be closed source. It's, you know, gonna have to maybe, you know, figure out you know, you have to rely on their support, et cetera. But once yeah. you have it, you know, you may want to increase your investment and go into more, uh, you know, open source models. But performance is very similar. Like open source models, performance has been fairly similar in most areas, but not all areas. Mm -hmm. Like okay. hallucinations are different. Uh, like even Llama, if you look up, you know, Llama against other things, there's, uh, Llama doesn't understand, um, you know, uh, intuitive calculations, so much of reasoning. As well. I mean, there are some differences that you can look up online. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, uh, MIT reported that, um, they're re reporting about the carbon footprint that the cloud providers are, are um, demonstrating. Um, and it's pretty significant. Uh, and, and I also saw an article on Harvard Business Review from uh, Tom Davenport, where he's talking about because of the compute power that these uh, generative AI products are going to be needing um, that is going to increase the carbon footprint even more. Um, is sustainability from a you know ecological standpoint being taken into consideration? How do we take that into consideration as we start to um, adopt this new capability? Yeah, great question. So very large models like GPT 3.5 and all, you know, they take months and insane amount of energy to train. 
and even for serving the inferences, you know, so there's a training phase and there is a inferencing phase where you ask it questions. The mm-hmm. both are very energy intensive, but it only applies if a model is very, very large and set up for general purpose use case. Yeah. Um, remember one of the things I talked about earlier in input risks is a choice of the model. Now, the beauty of open source models is that when the Llama 1 version of the model leaked out a few months ago, the whole open source community jumped on it and they optimized the, the heck out of it, right? So there's some people who actually made a large language model run on a mobile device, right? Some um, made it run on a Raspberry Pi, that little mm-hmm. $19 thing you buy, right? Um, you can run a large language model on your laptop, right? So the trade-off there is the model is not as large. Uh, it might be not as fast and it may give you a good enough answer, right? But that is the design trade-offs you make uh, when you're balancing value versus expense. Mm-hmm. So yes, will large language models have a pretty big energy footprint? Yes, they will if they're very large. Yeah. But as the industry matures, um, there'll be more optimization that oh, comes yeah. in. Uh, just like, like I think cryptocurrency uh, and the blockchains are a very good analogy there. Mm-hmm. Um, Bitcoin and Ethereum, especially Ethereum had a very, very high energy footprint. But now with the second and third generation of um, the blockchain technology that has been released, um, you know, the energy consumption has been cut down by 99%. Awesome. All right. I've got one more question. we got a couple minutes left. This one, uh, this goes back to the product management role. Uh, question is, how, how do I, how would I position myself as a product manager with a focus on AI for my future employers, right? Um, well, step one, you are here. So that's good. <laughs> um, that was a half joke, but um, yeah. I would say like, there's a uh, learn product management first. Um, if you're a good product manager, you'll realize that um, AI and gen AI specific product managing ML and AI products are uh, kind of an add-on skill set, mm-hmm. right? Um, the the main difference between an AI product manager and a general product manager is dealing with the very ambiguous. Uh, problem space, mm-hmm. you know, which is, yeah. So an, an ML and AI product manager has to be really good with ambiguity, really good at defining out specific use cases yeah. Uh, yeah. like we, we walked through. Um, and they have to be okay with the whole iterative product development cycle and setting the right expectations of explaining how your system works and keep taking your stakeholders and customers along the journey. So yep. those skill sets are more pronounced in, in AI product management. Yeah, thank you for that. And I'll add on, uh, if you go out to the Scaled Agile Framework uh, website, they have a real good course on uh, being a product manager and a product owner, which is the technical side uh, partnering with the product manager. Um, I would also suggest um, studying up on design thinking and study up on behavior, behavioral driven design techniques for driving out use cases, because that flushes out many of the, the ambiguities that uh, McCool was, was uh, sharing. My friend, that was an amazing dialogue on, a, on an incredibly fascinating topic. I so appreciate your expertise and uh, thought leadership in this space. Well, it was, a, it was a pleasure chatting with you, Mike, and um, uh, good participation from everyone else. Yes. Um, I know that there is, this is such a fast changing world. Uh, and I'm surprised that there were no like hot questions that came up on the whole world of um, will AI steal my job kind of theme, right? <laughs> I think that, 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 that risk of community and all that, I think that warrants um, a whole one hour discussion separately. It's such a big topic, but it is huge. Yeah, yeah. thank you. We'll have to do a follow-up session for that one for exactly. sure. Um, thank you so much, McCool. That was, was amazing. Like I, I gave you the compliment offline that people didn't hear, but uh, it is very, you have a, a very eloquent way of making these like big, uh, big topics seem very understandable. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, 
and yeah, we'll need to do it. We'll need to do a second session. But just a follow up to the note that I put in the chat. I know a lot of you got our newsletter that said there was like a two step process to getting started with Gen AI. And the first one was to come to this session. So check that off the list. Um, I've also added a link uh, just before the thank yous came in, um, which is a great offer that we have for everybody online. It's a 90 minute educational programming and discovery session. This is getting some big brains um, all together to look at practical uses of Gen AI at your own company. And that is being offered free for the attendees of this call. So um, please take a take a click on that and we'll send it as a follow up as well. And just thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. To all the attendees, thank you for joining us. This has absolutely been an excellent discussion. We appreciate you, McCool. Thank you, McCool. Thank you, everybody. Thanks very much. Thanks, Have everybody. a wonderful day.